Hello, I'm Alex Crowe. And I'm Steve Evans, and this is Talk of the Times. Today we're looking at vaccines. Australia did brilliantly with the first phase of the pandemic, shutting the border and keeping infections and deaths lower than other countries managed to do. But now we're way behind in terms of vaccinations. The rollout is a slowout. 6% of Australians are fully vaccinated, compared with just about half of British people and Americans. The message from Prime Minister Scott Morrison this week was that it will now be mandatory for aged care workers to be vaccinated, that GPs will be protected by no-fault indemnity to administer vaccines, and that under-60s could speak to their doctor about receiving the AstraZeneca vaccine. The message is confused and changes. One week it's AstraZeneca recommended only for the over 60s and the next week it's also for those below that age. And speaking frankly and personally, if my doctor asks me which vaccine I want, I'm going to say, I don't know doctor, I'm not a doctor, you tell me. Now to help us make sense of the changes, we've got Canberra Times federal politics reporter Dan Jervis Bardi and retired Air Vice Marshal and the head of the ANU's COVID response team, Professor Tracy Smart. Dan, is Scott Morrison's decision to encourage under-60s to speak to their GPs about getting vaccinated, about protecting the population, or is it an attempt to make up for a bungled rollout? The point you made about the constantly changing goalposts and the fact that there's different advice issued almost weekly it has to have the effect of, of undermining confidence, which in itself is, is going to make people more hesitant to take the vaccine and, and I guess slow down the, the rollout. That's a really good point. And I think the thing is, I'm not sure that a great amount of Australians had vaccine hesitancy to begin with. I think a lot had vaccine complacency. So a lot were saying, yeah, I'll get there. But, you know, there's no COVID in Australia now. The pandemic's over in Australia. So why would I get it? And I think... Um, this last uh, couple of weeks where we've seen outbreaks uh, now in, I think it's five, five different um, capital cities have now had lockdowns over the last few weeks. People have noticed that that hasn't gone away and therefore are clamouring to get vaccinated. Then you run into the problem that the government probably backed the wrong horse in terms of AstraZeneca. Um, for good reasons, obviously. AstraZeneca could be uh, manufactured in Australia and therefore was going, we were going to have a guaranteed supply. Because of that, they've now had to sort of scramble when the demand has gone up, it's sort of been a bit of a knee jerk to say, oh, oh, we've got lots of AstraZeneca, so let's change what we're doing. But having said that, ATAGI recommended vaccinations, firstly for 50 and over, and then for 60 and over, based on evidence. They actually said right at the beginning, if you wanted to have AstraZeneca and you are younger than that, you could have it. But what they didn't do initially is indemnify the doctors. That's the big difference that the Prime Minister announced earlier in the week. This is really important because in the past, before this announcement, doctors would potentially have been sued by patients. Even if patients gave consent, some could turn around and say, hey, you gave this against recommendations. What this new announcement from the Prime Minister means is that doctors are indemnified, so they can't be sued. They'll be following recommendations, but they'll also be taking into account the individual's wishes and the fact that they've given informed consent. The PM has also made it a requirement for aged care workers to be vaccinated and expectation that they will have their first jab by mid-September. Dan, have you come across a lack of willingness from the sector? What we've seen throughout the rollout is 
the vaccination rates amongst staff have been incredibly low. Now, when the decision was made earlier this week to introduce mandatory vaccinations, there was quite a strong pushback, not to the idea of mandatory vaccinations from the sector, but this idea, this suggestion that the low take-up rates had in some way been linked to hesitancy or a lack of willingness from staff. So there was a number of providers, there was unions coming out very strongly yesterday and saying, the issue is supply. Our staff want to be vaccinated, but you, the federal government, have not made it easy enough to do that. And as a result, we have a very small proportion of the workforce that's that's vaccinated. What I can't understand is um, why aged care workers aren't vaccinated by now. They were supposed to be in phase 1A or phase B, phase 1B of the rollout. And we weren't supposed to go into the next phase until those people were vaccinated. And yet now we find that people in what was phase 2A are being vaccinated, but there's still a lot of people who are frontline health workers, aged care workers, and indeed working with international air crews or um, on quarantine situations who haven't been vaccinated. To me, this shows that we really don't have a plan at the moment and we're really not following the plan we had originally in terms of getting people vaccinated. Let's take the gloves off on this. This is an almighty political cock-up. Correct, yeah. This is Scott Morrison gave a speech earlier in this year and, and he put the vaccine rollout at the top of his political priority list. He put that pressure on himself. They set the targets that this proportion of the population will be vaccinated by the end of March. They're the ones setting the targets and they're the ones that have failed to meet it. They were the ones that gave themselves the responsibilities to do that and consistently and without admitting fault that the federal government has continued to make mistake after mistake after mistake. What we saw at the start of pandemic was as Scott Morrison set up the the national cabinet with state premiers and chief ministers, there was a degree of cohesion. They all sort of work together. He has very few allies now in that national cabinet. And you see a New South Wales premier, Gladys Berejiklian, and a Labor premier in Anastasia Palaszczuk, who are really, really fed up with the way that this is going. The cynic in me wonders whether Mr Morrison's thought at the start was we can close the borders, we can keep this thing out, I can get to the election so I don't need to worry. And then Melbourne came along and the sight of Brits and Europeans starting to travel and he realised that the whole political strategy was wrong because you can't keep this thing out as they know in Sydney, as they know in Melbourne. Mm. In other words, it was a cynical, quiet, political calculation on his part. I disagree in in I think when the decision was made last March that the election probably wasn't on his mind there probably wasn't a great deal of politics that was playing into the decision at that time but I think you're you're right in saying that we had a strategy for the first phase to be able to to beat that first wave as we saw coronavirus sweep across the world in sort of March and April we had a strategy there but in terms of being able to plan for phase two, so rolling out the vaccine and preparing for opening up and and understanding. And and we see other countries around the world now talking about what it's like to live with the virus. We don't have those plans. And I do think that politics is playing into that because what we've seen is state premiers and chief ministers that close their borders 
win elections. And Scott Morrison is going to go to the polls, whether it's later this year or in May next year. And he knows that if he closes the borders, it's politically popular. Poll after poll after poll will prove that. There's the incentive, there's a political incentive for for him to not have a plan in a way. Obviously, politics is a big factor in this. And I think these outbreaks, though, may change the attitude in the polling. But I think it's a real failure of leadership as well. There was good leadership early on. Closing the borders was exactly the right thing to do and is the reason for our success. But it was actually the premiers who led on the elimination strategy, which was what New Zealand went with the start. So they went for elimination, they closed borders, and it worked really, really well. And so then we were kind of, the federal government followed on behind that. So the federal government wasn't leading, the premiers have been leading. And now, yeah, they have not come out with a strategy and coming out with a strategy or plan it doesn't have to be perfect. Everybody knows there's a pandemic and things like over the weekend, things were changing hourly with what was going on. But we, we need honesty and transparency. Scott Morrison was to not get up there and say, this is all good and everything's fine and everything, and actually be honest that here's our plan. Oh, but now we've found that there's clotting with AstraZeneca, for instance. So we're going to change our plan and this is what it means. I think Australians would feel much more comfortable and there wouldn't be this speculation and fear that's going on at the moment. I think Tracy's point was important that the politics could change as a result of these outbreaks. So I think a month ago, what we knew, border closures, international border closures is popular. Scott Morrison would almost certainly take that policy to the next election, wouldn't open up prior to that. And he could run on a campaign of... I've kept you safe, I've kept you healthy, the economy is booming, and once we've beaten this, we're going to build back better and I'm going to do it with lower taxes, I'm going to grow the economy. That, that would have been the message. This could change the attitude for people. If you have, we've got a situation now where there are Australians locked down in multiple capital cities, their mindset could change. There could be a, look, we're fed up with this. And what that does is it opens the door for the opposition So for Anthony Albanese and Labor, who have been scoring political points on the vaccine failure and quarantine. We've still got a a really good chance to emerge out of this incredibly well, even by the end of the year or certainly early next. If you can get a vaccine at the moment, get one. Of course, if you're in those, um, you know, aged care workers and everything else, or if you're over 40 at the moment, you can get a vaccine. If you're not in that at the moment, you've got two choices. One is to wait till your time comes up, and it will. We're getting more Pfizer supplies. Pfizer's in short supply at the moment, but we are getting more supplies. And by the end of the year, we will have enough vaccine in place between Pfizer, Moderna and Novavax. We will have enough vaccine for for everybody who wants to be vaccinated to be vaccinated. But if you want to get your vaccine earlier, then you can go and speak to your doctor and look at getting AstraZeneca, even if you're under 60. Then we need to actually have the strategy that's linked to what does it mean when I've had two vaccinations. What do it mean when I'm fully vaccinated? That then starts to make differences. Maybe that means you can start, you can go overseas. You might still have to do a short quarantine at home when you get back, but being vaccinated gives you the keys to the door. And vaccines save lives. I'll give you a a statistic. So earlier on this week, there were 23,000 cases of coronavirus in the UK. There were three deaths. The last time there were 23,000 cases in the UK, there were 613. Having the vaccine passport, if you like, or means that in lockdowns, it might be different rules. So it might be if you're not vaccinated, you lock down. If you are vaccinated, you may be able to have less restrictions, provided you wear a mask and are COVID safe. 
and we might start to see almost a two-class society going on as well. I may be wrong on this, as ever. I imagine attitudes have changed this time. The first, the, the first wave of the epidemic, if you like, there was talk about refuseniks, anti-vaxxers, people appearing in Bunnings, refusing to wear a mask. This time, that kind of self-indulgent, it's all about freedom thing seems to have gone away hasn't gone away and it won't go away there's still some people there there's naked sunbathers who get chased by deer um there was a a chap who punched a restaurant owner when they were asked to leave because they weren't wearing masks and didn't check in um, overnight so there is the deputy prime minister of course (laughs) exactly so there will still be people who don't get it but um look looking around canberra the last few days at how quickly everybody started putting masks on i think it shows most people get it in a year's time, I think we'll be close in Australia to looking at COVID like the flu to some degree. Of course, it's more deadly than the flu, but we'll be vaccinated. We'll have access to vaccination. We probably will have had a booster by then too. There's also some work being done on a combined flu and COVID vaccine, and we might have that as the booster next year. But I think by then, everybody in Australia who wants to be vaccinated will be vaccinated. And I think we'll start to see being able to do overseas travel, and I think we'll be learning to live with it. The only caveat to that, of course, is that the longer this virus is around, the more variants we'll see emerge. Professor Tracy Smart, thank you very much indeed. And Dan Javis thank you. And thank you for listening to Talk of the Times. <laughs>